Who's thankful this morning? I spoke with many of you before. We are so grateful to be uh, the children of the King. We have so many reasons to be thankful uh, this morning. It's been a great day so far. I love, love, love what Buddy's been talking about in our Beyond Superficial uh, series. I've just walked away, I don't know about you, just so convicted um, about so many things over the past several weeks. Uh, I've just been encouraged in our church, in our body, we have to go beyond superficial. Uh, we're a big church, but we can't be uh, a, a mile wide and, and an inch deep. Uh, we, we've got to go uh, beyond superficial to the depths that God intends for us to go as a body. And I pray that we do that on a Sunday morning too, that when we come in here uh, to worship, we, we move beyond superficial worship. Uh, Buddy's done a masterful job taking us beyond superficial preaching and we'll give in a way that's extraordinary, that we'll meet around the table in a way that goes beyond uh, superficial. In our classes, it's just everywhere, that we will go deep as a church and we'll certainly be grateful uh, to do so. Many of you are familiar with an author named Rudyard Kipling. Uh, Rudyard Kipling was alive from 1865 to 1936 and is known for uh, many wonderful writings. He wrote poetry and and books such as How the Leopard Got His Spots and Captain Courageous and perhaps most familiar, uh, The Jungle Book. And Kipling's writings not only made him famous, uh, but they brought him a fortune. In fact, the newspaper reporter came up to him once and said, Mr. Kipling, I just read that somebody calculated that the money you make from your writings amounts to over $100 per word. The newspaper reporter took out a crisp, brand new $100 bill, handed it to Mr. Kipling, and said, now, Mr. Kipling, you give me one of your $100 words. Rudyard Kipling took the $100 bill, smiled, and said, thanks. That was it. Now, thanks is certainly a a powerful word, and that may be worth well more uh, than $100 to you this morning. But where we're going this morning, if you haven't figured out, singing about being thankful and and, and having a a lifestyle of, of gratitude we've got to go beyond just saying thank you. Most of us in here today would probably consider ourselves to be grateful people for a variety of reasons. But we have to understand there's a major difference, right, between being able to say thanks and and really having a, a grateful heart. Each one of us needs to ask ourselves this morning, am I really a, a, a grateful person? Am I living a lifestyle that says that I am thankful for every day, even for every circumstance? Am I really living that? And and, and I've got to start this morning with myself. I've got to confess that I feel um, tremendously hesitant to preach about something that I am am, am so far uh, from living on a consistent basis. There's a significant gap. I just want a disclaimer from the beginning. There is a significant gap uh, between where I want to be and what I'm talking about this morning and where I feel I am currently. I too too often focus on on what I don't have instead of what I do. I I too often uh, complain and whine about uh, circumstances that are not what I want them uh, to be. But what about you? 
Do you find it easy to smile and say thank you when your waiter refills your water, but you really struggle to dwell on what the Lord has given you when times get tough? We offer up a little thank you to God when we find a nice parking spot. Whoever, how many of you have done that before? Just audibly, thank you, Lord. We do, we do that, and we're, we, are, um, we do that a lot. We say a quick prayer before family meals, maybe even at restaurants. And some of us may be in the habit of receiving thank you notes diligently when we receive a gift. But we fail miserably to maintain an attitude of thankfulness when a coworker receives a promotion or the raise we felt that we really deserved. We have to move beyond just saying thank you. This is a journey we're all on, right? To be more grateful, to live a lifestyle. We've got to move beyond superficial gratitude. And what I want to say first is that gratitude, friends, is a choice, right? We have to choose thank you. If you, if you think this morning, just imagine all the most thankful people that you know. They weren't just made that way, right? They, they made a choice. Seriously, this morning, think of all the, the most grateful people that you know that is really living this. It's not just a thank you here or there, but they have a grateful heart. They made the choice. If you're that kind of person, you made the choice to live thankfully. See, a lot of us, we let ourselves off the hook for one, or, one of, of, of two reasons or maybe both. We don't make gratitude a priority because we feel like it's a third or fourth tier virtue. We look at scripture and we say, well, there's all these other things that, that seem to be more important uh, than gratitude. And so we just, we just don't make that a priority or we don't get around to it. Or second, we may say that, that, that well, just gratitude is not my gift. Wes, it's just not my thing. There's some people that, that, are, that are thankful, and that's great. That's, again, that's kind of how the, the, the Lord made them, but that's not who, who I am. You know, maybe I need to work on it a little bit, but I'm going to play to my strengths instead of focusing on my weakness. And we do this with the fruits of the Spirit, right? You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We look at that, and we take inventory in our own lives, and we see, well, I'm not, li- I'm not really living this one or that one, but I got the rest of them. And maybe it's just because the Lord hasn't made me a patient person. And so I'm just going to kind of punt on that one. And that's nonsense, right? Because we know when we read that, that those are fruits of the Spirit, and when we're living in accordance with the Spirit and not by the flesh, that that is the natural fruit that flows out of our lives, that we don't get to order like we do off of a menu what we want and what we don't of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, gratitude's not mentioned as a fruit of the Spirit, but that is a choice, and it is important to God. We have to make that choice. That's what the Lord asks of us. According to 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it's already been read this morning by Travis, giving thanks is the will of God for every man, woman, and child. It is not optional. And in fact, when we are choosing gratitude we find ourselves right smack dab in the middle of God's will, right? We give thanks in all circumstances, Paul says, because this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So it's not optional. When we choose gratitude, we find ourselves right in the middle of God's will, a great place to be. You know, choosing to be thankful is the choice to embrace so many other things. You've experienced this in your life. 
When you're thankful on a consistent basis, there's a compound effect. You start to notice the benefits of God in, in several different areas of your life. When you choose gratitude, you choose joy, you choose peace. Again, I ask you to, to think of the most grateful people that you know in your life. You'll also find that they are also incredibly joyful, right? They're incredibly peaceful. There is a connection there. I like how the process of choosing gratitude is defined by an author named Nancy, Nancy Lee DeMoss in her book, Choosing Gratitude. She says, choosing to be thankful is a choice that requires constantly renewing my mind with the truth of God's word, setting my heart to savor God and his gifts, and disciplining my tongue to speak words that reflect his goodness and his grace until a grateful spirit becomes my reflexive response to all of life. I love that. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke 17, we'll read a familiar story. When you think of thankfulness, you think of the Gospels, this story may come to mind. We'll start in verse 11. I believe that we're up on the screen as well. Now, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, one of them came back, praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I read that story today to remind us, for some reason, gratitude does not come easy. It doesn't always come naturally. Why didn't all ten come back to thank Jesus? I think we can speculate. We probably we can and imagine we can imagine some reasons of why there was why there was only one. You know, some no doubt may have been in a rush to go home and see their families. One waited to see if the cure was real. One waited to see if it would last. One maybe figured he would see Jesus later, while maybe another figured I'm just I was going to get well anyway. I was already much improved. One gave glory to the priests. Or maybe one said, well, Jesus didn't really do anything. Any rabbi could have done that. Unfortunately, gratitude is just so far down our list of things we feel we need to work on. We take it for granted that we're grateful and we just never get around to it. The thankful leopard thankful leper, his, resu- his response, his first response was to choose gratitude, to be thankful for the grace he had been given. Instead of running out and being able to do all the things that, that, that he'd missed out on for years because of his sickness, 
that had ostracized him, he immediately came and fell at Jesus' feet and gave thanks. It was his first priority, and it must be a priority for us. And for each of us, there are reasons we don't cultivate a thankful heart. And I'd like to identify three enemies of gratitude. And you can take notes in your copy of Lifelines if you desire. The first opponent of gratitude is forgetfulness. This was a big deal. When, when, you, when you look at the story of Israel and their history, you'll see the Lord constantly telling the Israelites to remember, right? Deuteronomy 5.15, Remember that you are slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Deuteronomy 7.18, But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. And Deuteronomy 8, 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So the Lord is always just saying, remember what I've done. Remember what I've done. Remember how I brought you out of slavery. Remember how I provided for you in the desert. Remember that I am the Lord that loves you. I'm constant. I'm unfading. I'll always be there. Remember my great deeds done on your behalf. But we know the story. We know that Israel did not always remember. Deuteronomy 32, 18, you deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Psalm 78, 11, they forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. And Psalm 106, verse 21 They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt. The first enemy of gratitude, forgetfulness. We fail to remember, to be disciplined, to make a habit of recalling the events, the deeds, the ways the Lord has provided. We fail to remember how good he is and all of his saving acts of mercy and rescue. We forget. We've got to cultivate, if we want to be thankful people, we have to cultivate this habit of remembering what the Lord has done. Gratitude enemy number two is entitlement. And for for me, for probably a lot of us, this is a killer. Entitlement, this enemy is is this, this belief that we are owed that we are, are good people who deserve to be blessed, right? We take blessings for granted because we believe we deserve to be happy. Because I'm, I'm a good person and I've done good things and I've never done anything real bad. So I deserve blessings. And, and then it's coupled with a negative attitude and a negative response. When we see somebody else get that thing that, again, we feel that we deserved because we feel entitled Ingratitude thrives on our sense of entitlement. And then the third opponent is, is blindness. We just lost sight of where we come from, who we used to be, what we deserved. Sometimes we're so blind to the, to the, the mercy and the grace of God. That causes us to, to be ungrateful, especially when things don't go our way. The mercies of God that are new every morning are only given because God is a God of grace. We have done nothing 
to deserve them. So we lose sight often of where we have come from, who we used to be before the saving acts of God, who we were before Jesus. If you look at Ephesians 2, just outlines that predicament that we were in, how hopeless it was before Jesus. And we've kind of forgotten that. So we may tend to take the blessing and the gift of salvation and grace for granted. We're blind. We're blind to our history. We're blind to where we've come from. But but secondly, as it pertains to blindness, sometimes we're just not paying attention. Right? Sometimes we're just not paying attention to the things that God is doing all around us that we can stand and say every day, I am thankful for this. Whether it's because we're so busy, we're not paying attention. God is up to something all the time. I wonder what would happen if we were disciplined enough to literally count and recount the blessings of God on a daily basis? What would happen if we constantly had our heads on a swivel, opened our eyes, and took note of the ridiculous number of blessings we have each day? What would that do to your heart? What would that do to our hearts? I I would say this morning, again, there's a compound effect. It would cause us to be grateful if we would just open our eyes and, and there would be an effect and so many other blessings would pour out. We begin to see so much of what God has done. So what happens when we replace ingratitude with gratitude? For starters, other sins are dislodged. Ephesians 5 verse 4, Paul says, Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Other sins are dislodged when we choose thanksgiving. That fills the space in our hearts. There's a compound effect at work here. When we choose thankfulness, there is a massive and exponential effect on our relationships, our mindset, Our lifestyle, I've seen it work in my life. You've seen it work in your life. When we're grateful, other things begin to happen. Bad habits are replaced with habits that glorify God. Choosing to be thankful allows us to live the lives that God's intended for us. What else happens? There's three things that happen when we commit to choosing gratitude there in your notes. The first is choosing gratitude draws us into the presence of God. It's where he lives. Right? Psalm 22, verse 3, the psalmist says, You are holy, God. You inhabit the praises of Israel. Psalm 100, verse 4, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's where the Lord lives. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And Psalm 95, 2, again, very familiar. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Like how one author put it, She said, thanksgiving puts us in God's living room. It paves us, it paves the way into his presence. I love that. It draws us into the presence of God when we commit, when we choose to be thankful. Secondly, thankfulness, choosing gratitude is the path to peace and joy. We've already read the scripture, but perhaps our main text uh, for this morning, 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18, draws some, some beautiful connections between joy and peace and prayer. 
and thanksgiving. Let's read it in, in 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. Paul says, rejoice always. He tells us how often. It never stops. It's unceasing. We rejoice always. We pray continually. We always have a heart to pray. We're always speaking with and conversing with the Lord. We pray continually in verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. That one's maybe the toughest. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We read that scripture and we're like, that's, that's hard. It's hard to rejoice always. Always. There's, there's no leeway there. There's no break. Pray continually. And then to give thanks in all circumstances, really? That's difficult. But this joy that Paul's talking about, that he's identified, is, is not an emotional high. Nobody can sustain that. It's not the happiness we feel when, when everything's going our way. We've all experienced that. Where Man, things are just happening. They're so good. It's, just, it's like when you're headed down Atlanta Highway and you just hit every single green light. I mean, you never get stopped. It's like, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know? that's, a, that's happiness, right? You're happy and you get home early, you're able to do the things you want. But that's not, the, that's not the joy that Paul's talking about here, okay? Because that happiness can be taken away quickly. What Paul's talking about is a focus on an inner attitude that takes pleasure in recognizing that Jesus Christ and the hope we have with him and the relationship that we now have with God, that cannot be taken away. That joy Cannot we cannot be robbed of that. This is a deep and abiding confidence that no matter the circumstance, God is sovereign. He is on his throne. He is present in our victories and our defeats. He is present in our, our pleasure and our pain. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That gives joy. Right? So we can respond faithfully to God and give him thanks always, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. If you're still not convinced that there's a link between constant joy and prayer and thanksgiving, here's another scripture to support this truth. In Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, and it is again, ultimatum, every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You hear that? In in every situation, church, when, when prayer and thanksgiving meet, there is an indescribable peace. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, but I want that. I, I want that in my life, continually, knowing I can't be robbed of that. That, that, peace, that indescribable peace is constant because I've chosen to pray. I, I've, I've chosen to cultivate the habit to be on my knees before God. I, I've chosen to be grateful in the midst of whatever circumstances I find myself in. But we're pretty stubborn, right? We, there, there is another way. 
Some of you are, are, are big Beth Moore fans. I love how she says it. This is her rendering of Philippians 4, 6, and 7, if we do not choose gratitude. Do not be calm about anything, but in everything, by dwelling on it and constantly feeling picked on by God with thoughts like, and this is the thanks I get? Present your aggravations to everyone you know but him. And the acid in your stomach, which transcends all milk products, will cause you an ulcer, and the doctor bills will cause you a heart attack, and you will lose your mind. Right? That's the alternative. And we've experienced that. When we don't choose gratitude, that's what happens. And number three, choosing thankful allows us to live an abundant life with a full heart. Sometimes we believe that if, if, if our circumstances, again, we keep coming back to that word, if our circumstances were just a little better, if they lined up with our preferred future and what we really want to be happening in our lives, then we wouldn't struggle so much with uh, depression or discouragement or anxiety or fear. If, if everything was more like the way we want it, the way we see that, that, that it should happen, then we wouldn't struggle with those things. But if that's true, then how do we explain the fact that so many people, so many believers in our world that have far less are so much more grateful? There's some statistics real quickly from a book called The Progress Paradox, how life gets better while people feel worse. First of all, real per capita income has doubled since 1960. Life expectancy has nearly doubled in the past century and continues to rise. The size of the average new home in America has, has grown from 1,100 square feet just after World War II to more than 2,300 today. And the average person living in the Western Hemisphere, that's you and I, is more prosperous than 99.4% of everyone who's ever lived. But despite all the advances, despite the fact that you and I can look around and see how good we have it, the percentage of Americans who describe themselves as happy is no higher today than it has ever been before. Something is off. Are we really grateful? Paul was imprisoned in a Roman dungeon and he wrote a thank you note. Maybe you've read the book of Philippians. He wrote it from prison. Everybody had abandoned Paul. He'd been stripped of everything. He was all alone. No comfort. No possessions. But he was full. He was content. He writes this in verse 18, chapter 4 in Philippians. He says simply, I have all. I abound. I am full. A few verses prior, he had said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. This is a man who's in prison, who doesn't have a thing, abandoned by his friends. Again, nothing to say, that's mine. Struggling with his health. But he says, I'm full. I wonder today, church, what would your letter from prison look like? What would my letter from prison sound like? 
must move beyond superficial gratitude. One author writes about ungrateful people. They say ungrateful people are much like a container that has a hole in it, leaking out every blessing that's been poured in, always needing something else, something new to consume for satisfaction fuel. I have a an acquaintance in ministry that I see from time to time at camps and conferences, retreats. And this person is a chronic complainer. You may know somebody like this. Even just a simple question of, hey, how, how's it going, will lead to just immediately a, a, a stream of complaints about how things are going at his church or how his elders are, his co-workers, or how this hasn't worked out in his life the way he wants it. And this is just right off the bat. No pleasantries. I mean, just right into it. And eventually I, I just have to excuse myself because I'm just being drained. I mean, I'm just feeling the joy seep out of me. So I've got to excuse myself. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody like that. I hope that you don't resemble that person. As we begin to evaluate where we stand this morning in thankfulness, we have to ask ourselves the challenging question, are you a whiner? Am I a whiner? Or am I a worshiper? We have to make the choice on complaining and whining. Dr. Dale Robbins writes, I used to think people complained because they had a lot of problems. See if you can relate to this. But I have come to realize that they have problems because they complain. Complaining doesn't change anything or make situations better. It amplifies frustration, spreads discontent and discord, and can invoke an invitation for the devil to cause havoc with our lives. Complaining, in short, makes us miserable. In fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 77, verse 3, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. I came across this story this week that completely changes the way that you and I can see life. A true, a true story, a, a church group from New Bern, North Carolina, had traveled to the Caribbean on a mission trip. A lot of times when you think about the Caribbean or, we, you know, we, we go to Mexico, we tell folks we're going on a mission trip to Cozumel. Everybody has an idea of what Cozumel, the Caribbean, looks like. It's just posh. I mean, just luxury everywhere. But you know that further inland, it's not so. During this particular ministry trip, the host took them to visit, the team took them to visit a leper colony on the island of Tobago. And while they were there, they held a worship service in the campus chapel. As you can imagine, the sight of emaciated lepers filing into their seats on the bare pews bore deeply into the minds and memories of each visitor to this unaccustomed scene. But no memory left its mark like this one. When the pastor announced, this is the visiting pastor, he's in a new place, we have time for one more hymn. Does anyone have a favorite? He noticed a lone patient seated awkwardly on the back row, facing away from the front. At this final call for hymn request, with great effort, the woman slowly turned her body in the pastor's direction. Body would perhaps be a generous description of what remained of hers. No nose, no lips, just bare teeth askew within a chalky skull. 
she raised her bony nub of an arm, she had no hand, to see if she might be called on to appeal for her favorite song to be sung. Her teeth moved to the croaky rhythm of her voice as she said, Could we sing, Count Your Many Blessings? The pastor stumbled out of the pulpit, out the door, and into the adjoining yard, tears of holy conviction raining down his face. One of the traveling party rushed to fill his place, beginning to sing the familiar song in this unfamiliar place, arguably the most unblessed of any spot in the universe. A friend hustled outside, and he put his arm around the sobbing pastor, and he consolingly said, I bet you'll never be able to sing that song again, will you? The pastor answered, yeah, I'll sing it, but never the same way ever again. Do we spend more time counting and recounting our blessings or our problems? What impact does your spirit have on those around you? Are you a whiner or a worshiper? I pray that that people are refreshed and encouraged by our thankful spirit, that they're not weighed down by our negative attitude. So when it comes to choosing gratitude, how how do we do it? I'm not going to spend a lot of time. You can figure it out. Most all of us, I pray you're a gracious person, a thankful person, but... We've got to speak up. The opportunities are all around us. Silent gratitude isn't much use to anybody. Portions of Psalm 145 say, One generation shall commend your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak up. They tell of the glory of your kingdom. They speak of your might. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Speak up and write it down. I I was reminded or, or, or... heard a story this past week of a husband who committed to one year keeping a thanksgiving and blessing journal about his wife. And so every day he would write down something he saw and heard that he was grateful for. For 365 days. And at the end of that year, he gave it as a gift to his wife. And you can imagine their, their marriage has, has never been the same since. Be thankful for the blessings in your life. Be thankful publicly and privately. Be grateful to God when nobody is looking But don't be afraid to show gratitude in public conversation either. Our church lobbies are full of conversations about sports and weather. And those aren't off limits. I've had those conversations this morning. But I've also heard from many of you who are just grateful for the blessings of God. We need to share those with one another. And for what? Choose to be grateful for everything. A lot of us will sit down uh, this week around the Thanksgiving table. Those in Birmingham will have sat down at the table already. And you'll be asked this question, what are you grateful for? And, and we'll say things like, like, like family and, and, and friends and health, and certainly we're grateful for those things. But I ask you, are we, how will you answer that question? Will you struggle to answer that question? We need to be grateful for everything. I, I don't know about you, this year when I'm asked, what, do, what am I grateful for? I'm going to say toilet paper. Can you imagine a world without toilet paper? We need to be grateful for that. We need to express thanksgiving for anything and everything. But I'm also going to mention how grateful I am to have the unshakable hope I have in the promise that Jesus is alive, that he is coming back, 
and that this world with death and disease and destruction and ISIS threats is not the end. That I belong to the Father and he is going to bring all of us home one day. Be grateful for God's mercy, his presence, his salvation, his promises, his goodness, his faithfulness, his victory. Church, there is no end to this list. Be grateful for it all. I'd like to, I know we've been video heavy today. I want you to watch one more video before we extend an invitation this morning. There will never be nearly as much gratitude flowing out of my life to match the grace that flows into my life. But I want to choose, and I want us as a church to choose thankful. To not just say thank you every now and then, but to live a lifestyle of gratitude where we are grateful for it all because I believe it's the best life and I believe it's the only fitting response to a God who has stopped at nothing to give us everything. If you'd like to grow in this area or anything else, we're a transparent body. We'd love to invite you to come. Uh, We're going to stand and sing a song. If you have any need this morning, anything that we can lift up to the Father on your behalf, we want to invite you to do that as we stand and sing.